Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And just think, you know, God has given me a front row seat and Jacob would see this tremendous difference between the humble Leah and the proud Rachel and he'd ask himself the question, what kind of a person do I want to be like? Do I want to be like Leah Letting the problems of life push me to God? Letting the problems of life push me into praising God? Want to be like that? Or do I want to be like Rachel, pushing God into my way? Pushing God to justify me and vindicate me? So as we study this chapter, we see that God has given us, along with Jacob, a front row seat where we can clearly see this great contrast between Leah and Rachel. And like Jacob, ask ourselves a question, what kind of Christian do I want to be like? Do I want to be a Leah Christian, growing in grace, growing from a Reuben? Behold us unto us, Simeon. God's hearing me, I'm praying. Oh, okay, well, falling in Levi and seeing only my problems, but then rising up out of it and praising him. I want to be a Leah Christian, praising God. Or do I want to be a Rachel Christian, souring in bitterness? Now, and then we see how Rachel's maid gave birth to a second son in verse 7. And Bill, how Rachel's maid conceived again, bear Jacob a second son. And again we see from the name that Rachel gives to the boy and the explanation, we see what's inside Rachel in verse 8. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali, Naphtali. She calls the boy Naphtali, which literally means my wrestling. And when the Septuagint translated this, they went a little bit further and said Naphtalim. In other words, my wrestlings. So in the naming of her first son, Dan, she only mentions God to say that God was on her side in the fight against her sister, and God was vindicating her against her sister. But in the name of the second son, Naphtali, she's not mentioning God at all. So from the name Naphtali, Rachel is not saying God is fighting for her. She's saying, I'm fighting for myself. And from the name Naphtali, Rachel has no concept of depending on God. It's just absent. From the name Naphtali, Rachel is saying that she is wrestling with her sister, and she explains with great wrestlings have I wrestled my sister, and I prevailed. She calls his name Naphtali. So when we see Rachel in verse 8 saying, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, we see how Rachel's life is consumed with this wrestling, with this fighting with her sister. 
Rachel is wasting her life fighting with her sister. And when we see that, that's a tremendous warning for us of Ephesians 6.12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The Lord Jesus Christ used that phrase. That's a very important phrase, flesh and blood. He used that phrase. Remember when he used it? Flesh and blood? That's it. That's it. He said that. He used flesh and blood. When Peter came to understand the great secret, I was talking to a 30-year-old Israeli girl up in Los Angeles, and she said, you've got to see this movie, The Secret. She was explaining to me, the secret is that love isn't everyone. I said, oh, I know that. I said, I, said, I see that with the Iranians and how they love the Jewish people. So, <laughs> but she said, uh, she said, the great secret. And I said, I'll tell you what the great secret is. The great secret for the Jewish people is Jesus Christ is God. That's the great secret. And that was the great secret that was revealed to Peter in Matthew 16, 16, when it's, and Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what he said. And Jesus answered and said unto him, as Clinton said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood. Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. Paul used that phrase, flesh and blood. Anybody remember where he used it? He used that phrase to describe what he did when he understood a great secret, a great secret that Jesus Christ in the person of his Holy Spirit was inside of him. And Paul said he didn't discuss that with anyone. He didn't speak about that to anyone for three years. And he said in Galatians 1, 15 through 18, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He said, neither went I up to Jerusalem, but to the apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. And after three years, then I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. See, when Paul said he conferred not with flesh and blood, that man, he went to be alone with God for three years. That's a long, quiet time. Right? Three years in Arabia, where he let God reprogram everything that he had been taught by his rabbi, rabbis, and reprogramming in the, in, in the sense to see in the scriptures Jehovah Jesus, that Jehovah is Jehovah Jesus. But Rachel has decided to give her life to wrestling with flesh and blood, her sister. And in verse 8, when, when she says, with great wrestlings I've wrestled with my sister, we feel so sorry for Rachel. She's wasting her life. She's wasting her life on a senseless fight with her sister, I mean, we feel sorry for Rachel as we see her waste her life trying to get even with her sister. She reminds me of a daughter who's cut off all communication with her father. She's wasting her life in a senseless struggle to prove she's right. All the while this is going on, Rachel is losing any chance of her relationship with God. This senseless struggle is isolating Rachel. It's isolating Rachel. Who's, Rachel doesn't have any friends. Where's a friend of Rachel? She doesn't have any friend. Rachel has no friend. Her husband's not her friend. <laughs> He's off with her. Bill is not her friend. She says, you know, have babies and grabs them. They push her into the arms of her husband. Okay, she certainly doesn't have a friend in Leah. She doesn't have any friends. 
So her great wrestlings with her sister has caused her a great isolation in her life into a sad, lonely existence and because she's obsessed with getting even. You know, she's, she's the over-my-dead-body person. It's sad. A life of great wrestlings to get even, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. That's why when we're faced with a decision to fight or not fight, we need to remember what it says in 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 25. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So as we take a good look at Rachel, and what she's saying here, with great wrestlings have I wrestled my sister, we hear God say to us, as servants of the Lord, don't do that. Don't do that, because the servant of the Lord must not wrestle with great wrestlings. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men. But it didn't have to turn out this way for Rachel. It was all in her power to decide and God always provides for us in Scripture other examples, similar situations, but other examples, so that we can see it could have gone differently. Who was that in Scripture who didn't have any children and who also didn't have a good relationship with the other wife? As Hannah. As Hannah. She didn't have any children, and, uh, and there was the other wife, and the other wife taunted her. I mean, uh, Both of them, Rachel, Hannah, had the problem of the other wife. Uh, But rather than fight, as Rachel did, Hannah prayed. And her prayer is recorded for us in 1 Samuel 1, 10 through 11. 1 Samuel 1, 10 through 11. And it says, and she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord. All the days of his life there shall no razor come upon his head. See, Rachel envies, Hannah prays. Rachel wanted to have children, Hannah just asked for just one child. Rachel is blaming and demanding, Hannah is submissive and devout. Rachel wanted children to use in her fight against her sister. Hannah said, if thou will give me a child, I will give him to the Lord. And while Rachel dies, giving birth to her second son, Hannah gets four more children. So now notice in verse eight, Rachel went on to say, I have prevailed. That's quite a statement. When Rachel says, I have prevailed, she's taking credit for her craftiness in using Bilhah to have children that she could then adopt as her own. She says, I won. But did she really prevail? Did Rachel really prevail? Was the fight really over? <laughs> Not really. Because at the birth, way on down the road to, of her second to last son, when the birth of Joseph, she's still wrestling. In verse 23 of this chapter, when she conceives and bears a son, and she said, God has taken away my reproach. So she still feels she's got a reproach. She's still got a reproach. It needs to be taken away. See? Rachel took the struggle with her sister all the way to the grave with the birth of her last son, Benjamin, who she, she's blaming everybody. She's blaming Jacob. She's blaming her sister. Now she's blaming the little baby. It says, son of my sorrow, that's your name. She's always blaming people for her injustices. The infant son is now the cause of her sorrow. The truth is, Rachel never prevailed in life. 
It's interesting that Rachel used that word, prevailed, because when she said, I have prevailed, that's a Hebrew word, yakol, prevailed. And what's interesting is that when Rachel said, I have yakol, I have prevailed, that that's the same word that Jacob used when he wrestled with God, and Jacob saw that he prevailed not, he yakoled not, in Genesis 32, 24 through 25, where it says, Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man, that'd be Jehovah Jesus, there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, yakoled not, prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he saw that he prevailed not, he yakoled not, Jacob's thigh was painfully, painfully out of joint, put out of joint. You cannot be in a more prevail not situation and position than the having the pain of a thigh out of joint. I mean, talk about pain. I mean, uh, having a shoulder out of joint is unbelievable pain, but a thigh out of joint, unbearable, sends the body into shock. And it's in this state of being helpless, absolutely helpless, and he says, I yakol not, I prevailed not, that God takes the same word, yakol. And he says, I've got to rename you, Jacob. In verse 28, he said, thy name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed, hast yakol. So God said to Jacob, now your name is Israel. For as a prince, you have power with God, with men, and you have prevailed, you have yakol. What? I don't understand. Okay. Rachel, in chapter 30, verse 8, she's standing strong. She's feeling strong. She said, I have prevailed. Yakol. But she really had not prevailed. See? Jacob, in Genesis 32, 28, he's in excruciating pain with his thigh out of joint. His body is quivering in shock. He's pitifully clinging to Jehovah Jesus, who's just put his thigh out of joint. He sees that he prevails not, Yaakov not. But then Jehovah Jesus says to Jacob, you have prevailed, Yaakov, with God and with man. What? How's that? Jehovah Jesus has just put Jacob's thigh out of joint. Jacob's in unbearable pain. His body's quivering. He's trying his best to keep from passing out from the pain. And all he does is he's he's clinging to Jehovah Jesus' trembling voice. He manages to say, I won't let you go unless you bless me. In that state. Jehovah Jesus takes Jacob's hand, holds it up, and says, the winner. (laughs) You tell me how that works. The winner. You won. You prevailed. Yaakov. What's the explanation? Rachel was strong in herself. It is grace. Rachel was strong in herself. She said, I prevailed. Yaakov. Reality, she didn't prevail. Jacob was weak in himself. He says, I prevailed not. God said, you prevailed. Jacob, you prevailed. Rachel, you said you prevailed, you didn't prevail because you were strong and you didn't depend on God. Jacob, you saw you prevailed not, but you did prevail because you were weak and you depended on God. Jacob, you prevailed because of grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I Rather, glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake. 
For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See? Jacob, when you're weak, then you're strong. Because the strength of Jehovah Jesus can now be made perfect in your weakness. Jacob, you were never the strongest as at the time when your body was racked with pain from a thigh that was out of joint, you were clinging to me and you saw you prevailed not. That's your strongest point. Rachel, you were never the weakest as at the time when you felt the strongest against your sister, you didn't need me, you saw that you prevailed. Rachel, she sees this big problem in her life and it's spelled L-E-A-H, Leah. It's her sister. And so all the names of the children focus on her big problem, her sister Leah. And now for Leah, the big problem in her life was Jacob, Jacob's hatred of her. So the names of her first three children speak of Jacob's hatred of her. But the name of, as we said, the name of Leah's fourth child, Judah, it speaks only about God. That's growth. That's growth in the Lord. Both sisters started from the same position of a life problem. One sister, Leah, grew to God. The other sister, Rachel, grew away from God. Which one are we? Are we Leah or are we Rachel? And who's caught in the middle of all this? What a lucky man. (laughs) Jacob. Miserable existence for Jacob. Caught in the middle of two warring sisters. And as Jacob watches them fight, he sort of sees, you know, there's two ways for me to live my life. There is this Rachel way of life, which is self-centered. It's wrestling with others. It's kind of get your way no matter what. And then there's this layaway way of life of praising God and prayer and trusting God. So Jacob can look at this as, you know, with these, with these two wives in front of me, I can see two ways to live life. And with his two wives, Jacob can see that in him, there's two Jacobs inside of him. There's a Rachel Jacob inside of him that wants to rebel against God and wants his own way. And at the same time, there's a Leah Jacob. Uh, You're probably thinking, what is he saying? He's crazy, right? That's all right. He said, there's a Leah Jacob inside of him. This Leah Jacob wants to submit to God, wants to pray, wants to praise God. And so as Jacob's caught in the fight, in the middle of this fight here, these two sisters of Leah and Rachel fighting with each other, he feels the Rachel inside of Jacob is fighting with the Leah inside of Jacob. This is Paul. It's all description in Romans 7. That's what Romans 7 is all about, as Paul put it in Romans 7, 18. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. The evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity at the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? But why did Rachel say in verse 8, I have prevailed? So that's the question. Why did she say that? Rachel said that because it wasn't enough to irritate Leah by naming Bilhah's second son, Naphtali, with great wrestlings, to memorialize the wrestlings between Rachel and Leah. Rachel really wants to get in Leah's face. And so she gives the ultimate irritation. She steps to the center of the wrestling ring. 
<laughs> Rachel does. And she, she says, the winner. <laughs> That's what she did. And right in the struggle with her sister, we can just see Rachel. Boy, she's, she's getting right in, in Leah's face, and she's saying, I prevailed. I'm the winner. And, in fact, we can even imagine her holding the little baby up there and say, see this? I prevail. So you take that, Leah. Hmm. So Rachel gives this victory cry in verse 8, I have prevailed. Well, that's more than Leah can take. Okay, so she comes back in verse 9. When Leah saw that she left bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave Jacob to wife. Oh, what? <laughs> Leah? No, Leah, don't do that. Leah, you're going to sink down to Rachel's level? Leah, you're going to throw another woman into the arms of your husband to generate more babies? Leah, you're bringing more polygamy into this marriage? It'd be so nice if verse 9 wasn't there. It'd just be so nice. It'd be so much nicer to have finished the history of Leah with the last verse in chapter 29. To have just have read, Leah said, now will I praise the Lord. It would be so much better to be able to say, well, you know, throughout Leah's life, she resisted all kinds of temptations to fight back and lose her grip on things above, her sight on things above. It would have been so good to have been able to say, yeah, Leah was tempted to retaliate, but Leah held on strong uh, to the grip. Now will I praise the Lord. But unfortunately, there's a verse 9 where Leah came off the wall. She came off the wall of now will I praise the Lord. Can you, can't you imagine? Can't you just picture Leah? I mean, she's there on this ladder on the wall building her house of praise to God. And Leah's doing something really important up there, uh, building that house of praise. And, and, and she's trying to concentrate and focus on the goodness of God and on the worthiness of God. And as she's building this house of praise, there below stands Rachel, and she's holding up the baby, Naphtali, and she's yelling up, hey, Leah, see this baby boy here? I wrestled with you. I won. You, know, you lost. I prevailed. You're down. See? And from where we sit, we want to yell back to Leah, Leah, don't listen to Rachel. You know, we want to say, Leah, stay up there on that wall. Keep building that house of praise, Leah. Don't let Rachel get you off that wall. Leah, it's far more important for you to, to not come off that wall. Stay up there, Leah. Yeah. But unfortunately, she doesn't listen to us because we weren't there. You know? But she doesn't listen to any voice that says stay on the wall. And when Leah hears those three words in verse 8, eight, I have prevailed, Leah said, that's it. That's it. Rachel has crossed the line now. She wants a cat fight. I'll give her a cat fight. And down the wall, Leah comes. What a warning this is for us. Who has gotten under our skin? Who has provoked us to turn from now will I praise the Lord? Who's our Rachel? Who's gotten us to come down from the wall uh, from our will of of building a house of praise to God. I mean, how much better to have written about our lives? That Christian kept his grip on things above. That Christian maintained his stand of, now will I praise the Lord. No taunts, no provocations, no humiliations, no suffering, no slandering were able in his life to move him off of that wall from building his house of praise to God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at tomcantor.com. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Do you have a heart for Israel and lost Jewish people in America? Then come work in Southern California as a full-time or volunteer missionary working with Tom Cantor in Israel Restoration Ministries, reaching lost Jewish people with their Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. Hourly wage, 401k, health insurance, company car and phone, and other amazing benefits. Call us, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, israelrestoration.org.